wanna be a starving artist I don't wanna be a starving artist I just want to find a way to live Hi, I'm Anna Eastley. Welcome to Starving Artist, the podcast about art, money, how to make those things work together. This week, I have for you an interview with Sarah Firth talking about strategy. And by that, I mean how to make an approach for your work. And by that, I mean how to make an approach for your life. For a little bit of context, Sarah has a few different streams to her work. On the one hand, she's an artist and a writer. And on the other hand, she's a creative entrepreneur. If you're wondering, what is a creative entrepreneur? So for Sarah, what that means is she runs a small business. She offers film, creative workshop, and graphic recording services. And if you don't know what graphic recording is, it's basically like writing an essay, but with drawings and doing it live to capture a conversation. So she does that, and she's done that successfully for the past seven years. And that, my friends, is where she makes her dosh. So the reason I wanted to talk to Sarah is because she's one of the most self-reflective and analytical people I know. And she's basically turned her life into a well-oiled laboratory of one. Unlike me, who's often kind of tearing my hair out and squishing all the bits of the life salad into the calendar container, she's like constantly planning, analyzing, and reevaluating what actually works for her and adopting ideas and methods from the art world as well as from self-help and corporate. And she's been doing this for like 10 years. In this episode, we talk about collecting data on yourself, redefining success, and why you shouldn't pressure yourself to make money from your artwork. And just before we get stuck into it, because Sarah Firth is such a goldmine, I've split this interview up into two parts. It means that it ends a little abruptly, but don't worry, there's more where that came from. And so Sarah's thoughts on financial literacy will be in your ear holes later this season. So let's do it. Sarah Firth, she's a fucking genius. Thankfully, Sarah Firth has given me her time today and we're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about building an approach or a strategy to your creative life. Is that a good summation? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Oh, wow. I just Difficult. <laughs> No, I just wrote a new um, bio and I feel like I should know it and I cannot remember what I said. What am I? I am an artist and also a creative entrepreneur and business owner and I'm currently writing my debut graphic novel. And if I were to ask you what your week looks like, could you tell me in like a couple of sentences, like what did you do this week? Wow, every week is completely different. different. Yeah, because I have this kind of magical mix of running my business and then also doing my creative artwork. So some weeks I'm totally booked with clients and so I'll be offsite with clients and, you know, getting up at five in the morning, working very long hours. And then other weeks I will be working in the studio and I usually get up later 
and also go to the gym and have nice time to kind of mill about and think about things and also work. So every week is different is like (laughs) the best thing that I can say. That's kind of the way from my understanding it goes, particularly if you're running your own business and you offer a bunch of different kinds of services, Mm. it's very project-based. Yeah, totally. So it depends what's happening. Yeah. So like if I'm working on a film, my whole office and studio will turn into a film studio. And then once that's finished, I'll pack it down and it'll become something else. So it's very flexible. So what I like about, because I'm I'm your friend. (laughs) So we've talked about this stuff before. And what I like about your approach is that working in that way can be really chaotic, but you do a lot of work to make it that you're driving instead of just reacting to stuff happening yeah yeah totally yeah so can you give us an idea of kind of where you were at maybe like 10 years ago in terms of your creative life and business yeah so that point that you brought up about like if you have a complex life and by complex I mean many moving parts it can be very easy to get overwhelmed and just feel like you don't have any control and over the past 10 years since I left art school it's been a very kind of ah oh, painful at times process of just figuring out what works for me and kind of what are core principles and how can I have clearer values of what I do and don't want and where I want to go so I have some kind of compass of what I say yes and what I say no to in my business and also with my artwork which is Um, so hard it is it is but like when you can get closer to whatever that thing is and of course that changes over time depending on your priorities and projects and stuff but the more of an anchor that you have inside yourself the more power you have to deal with the fluctuations is what I've found and that's like project fluctuations client fluctuations and also financial fluctuations so you asked me where was I 10 years ago so I just graduated art school and I studied sculpture originally I'd always done writing and comics like for the university newspaper so that's always kind of been an undercurrent in my creative practice but it's actually only when I had a car accident the year after I graduated that I was forced to stop making sculpture for quite a while because I was incapacitated for six months and drawing and writing became a really important therapeutic tool for me and I also had some short-term brain damage and so I actually started using visualization techniques of post-it noting, writing lists, writing to-do lists as a way to actually help myself because I wasn't functioning properly and it's funny that you know what I learned from that very difficult time has actually kind of propelled me in the direction I've gone today. So it sounds very corny, but I'm very grateful for that because it's opened up a lot more possibilities for me. So I've known you about a year and you write a lot, like every day and draw like, wow. I just, I'm like, wow, I wish I would be able to do that. Did you always do that? Or was that something that came? Yeah, so I've always drawn and written a lot, you know, all through art school, you have a visual diary. And so you're taking notes and thinking and writing and essays, blah, blah, blah. And I always really, really enjoyed reading critical work and reading theory and then synthesizing that into essay form. And so I've always liked kind of synthesizing information and then sketching and thinking about life and thinking about things. But again, from the car accident, that's when I really actually needed those things. And they were actually a lifeline for me. Because I couldn't walk for six months. So I was like, you know, what am I going to do? And it ended up being Facebook, drawing, writing, reading, 
And Facebook was also a really important therapeutic tool during that time as well. And social media is a key way that I engage my customers and my fans with my artwork as well. Gosh, so much has happened in the past 10 years that (laughs) how can I sum it up? And like the number one thing has just been trying to find a way to support myself so that I'm safe enough. I feel safe enough to do good work, but also not compromising on my calling, which is to make art. And so over the years, it's been this like testing, trying different combinations of the work money equation. And like after my car accident, I decided to take full-time work because I wanted something that was involved a lot of sitting and was easy, that kind of thing. And I actually found that after a year in full-time work that the nine to five environment and the full-time environment was very damaging for me. And it also meant that my creativity was pushed into the late hours. And so I ended up completely overworking. So working full-time and then working on a commission for six months at night. And I actually became quite unwell again because I was just working way too hard. So I thought, oh, that didn't work. What can I do? So I ended up doing NICE, which is the new enterprise incentive scheme where you get government support to start up a small business. And I thought, oh, what else do I really like? So I, I love plants. And so I decided to run a plant stall and sell plants. And I thought, wow, this is so great. So much freedom. I realized I didn't like markets. I realized that people don't really spend money on plants. <laughs> and so I was very, very, very poor. And around that time I moved to Melbourne and I was so poor that I was dumpster diving out of necessity. You know, I would still dumpster dive now because it's a really good way to use food that would otherwise be wasted. But like, I just didn't have enough money to fulfill all the requirements of life. And that's the situation that a lot of people are in and it's very, very stressful. Uh, And I just went and did a whole bunch of other part-time jobs to try and make ends meet. And it was a big mess and I was very confused. And What year was that? Uh, That was 2010. Yeah. So that was really hard. And also I tried to sell my artwork and tried to sort of pitch myself as an illustrator. But then I realized that I didn't really enjoy it. I tried lots of things that I thought I would enjoy. And then through doing them, I realized, oh, I don't actually like this. On the surface, it seems good and it seems to work really well for other people, but it doesn't quite work for me. And why? So there's lots of like uncomfortableness, asking why, trying to tweak things, trying to think outside what I know. And I actually ended up being offered an opportunity to go and draw in the corporate space and corporate IT space. And that's when I first learned about graphic recording, which is basically a visual capture of conversation, which is what I do as my main business income stream. And that was a total revelation for me because again, it was employing the tools that I learned from the therapy of my accident and applying that as my profession. And I was like, this is so good. Like, I love this so much. And I've been doing that for the past six years, along with making animations and making films and documentaries and stuff for clients. And then my art making is on the side because I realized that putting pressure on myself and my art making for it to be the thing that makes me money killed it for me. So what I've done is I've separated out my skills that can be commercially applied and valuable for other people. I have that as my business. And then my actual art making and storytelling and writing is just my art for myself. And I don't need to make money from it. I mean, it may make money, but just taking that pressure off has worked really well for me. 
So in terms of where you're at now, mm. it sounds like you feel a lot more safe, secure. Yeah, yeah. So through working in sort of the business, corporate, government, health, I work in so many different sectors, but from working in all these different sectors and breaking out of the art world, the fine art world, which is where I came from, I was able to see ideas and approaches that I could apply to my artwork and my business, things like that, to make my life a bit easier by developing a strategy for how I produce artwork and also developing a strategy for how I make money so that I can know what's the minimum money I need to earn to feel okay and not be totally stressed. And then what's um, a higher earnings that I could make potentially that would mean I could save, etc. And I think for me, a big part of developing new ways of thinking about creative business money making and growing my artwork as well has been community. So like, for example, when I did sculpture, I loved all of my sculpture comrades, but it didn't feel quite like my tribe. And it's only in the past two years that I finally found two different groups of people that I consider my tribe, which are like the alternative comics community and the comic art workshop that I'm part of. And then also the graphic recording community, which is an international community of practitioners and just being able to talk about money, clients, techniques, tools, having that community has been so fundamental to me finding my footing. I think almost every person I've spoken to has said that. Yeah, yeah, it's really because a lot of the questions that you might have around that particular thing that you're doing, other people have gone through similar stuff and particularly if people are a few years further down the line, they often have really good advice. And particularly with finances, I find having a graphic recording community helps me redefine the value of what I do and charge appropriately for it and feel strong in charging what I charge for it because it's quite a different activity to, for example, illustration. And I could make the mistake of charging it at illustration rates, but what I do is actually almost like essay writing with pictures live, which is kind of more... When um, you say it like that, it sounds terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like <laughs> it's a much more challenging analytical process. Like it's not just drawing to a brief. So it's just quite different. Um, so community has been very important. So can you tell me a little bit about how you've gotten to where you are and how your approach has changed? So it's been six years that I've been running my creative business and I feel extremely privileged and also very responsible because I've built a creative business that is based around my values and principles and what I want to be doing on my terms. And so if things don't work, I feel very responsible because I've there's no one else telling me how to do it or why to do it. Wow. Yeah. I never thought about it like that before. Yeah, yeah, which is really liberating. But there's also that responsibility of I've become very aware of my subconscious patterns. Like I'll often take on stress or take on work based on patterns that aren't actually in alignment with what I've stated my values are. And so I kind of need to check myself all the time and be like, Are you doing this out of fear? Are you doing this because you're worried that you're not good enough? Are you doing this because you want these certain people to think what you do is good versus what you actually really want to do that they may not understand or that kind of stuff? So there's that real, and this is why I've said to you before that like if you are devising your own 
creative life path, you need to be really onto your self-care and self-awareness and emotional intelligence development, things like that, because you want to be a really good boss for you and you want to like help yourself grow, but also really look after yourself and not push yourself stupidly hard and, you know, make it sustainable and all that kind of stuff. So that's why as much as I talk about very like strategic things, the self-care and nurture is super, super, super important. Yeah, that's something Mm. that I think you do really well, which is from what I know of you and how you've done it, you've taken ideas that would be usually approached to like the hardcore business. Yeah, corporate strategy. Yeah. 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 And then applied that to how to look after yourself in the process. Man, I needed to hear what you just said there, though, about being a good boss to yourself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I maybe have not been a good boss to myself. No, but it's so it's such an important thing because so just some context is like I've worked many different jobs throughout my life, all very kind of low level jobs. And I was not very good at any of them, to be honest. I was, you know, if I was an employee back then, I would not have employed myself. But I got, I got reprimanded and chastised a lot. And I was working as hard as I could, but my bosses and some of my managers were not particularly good managers. And they gave me feedback that was actually out of line, but I've internalized that. And similarly, doing some corporate work, the cultural expectations of how hard you are meant to work in that particular industry is a recipe for burnout. And so if you model the way you run your business on these things that you've learned and you don't question them, you're just controlling yourself with all these patterns that are in industries that you wanted to step away from. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, particularly some of the early corporate work that I did. I was just really, really grinding myself to the bone because I felt like if I didn't work that hard, I would be, someone would outcompete me So I was coming from this very like foggy place and it was only when I took the time off to take a sabbatical and kind of unwind and unpack that stuff through writing. So I write three pages of just jumbly brain mush every morning, but it's only through unpacking that stuff and asking why do I feel this way? Why do I work like this? Why have I set these targets and these expectations that I went, oh, hold on a second. I did all of that. No one else did it. Why am I doing it? That doesn't work for me. I know that doesn't work for me silly and that was very liberating because then I was like okay what do I think I need what's going to work and looking at it across like health and well-being rest socializing finances the work you want to do and looking at the whole spectrum not just one in, in isolation but looking at your lifestyle and by lifestyle I mean like health well-being socializing that kind of stuff plus your creative ambitions and making money and and fitting it all together rather than working out what do I want of my creative career and then squishing everything else around it. Yeah, and like to you know some for some people being a good friend, being a good partner, being able to water your veggies and look after your dog isn't as important as them being the best theater producer in the world or making the best music. And that's totally fine. Like some people don't want to be well-rounded and they want to just like kind of burn really brightly and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and I think it's good to be clear about that so you can articulate it to the people around you and say you know what my number one priority of my life is this thing I'm so sorry but I can't do these other things whereas someone like me who likes to kind of be a a sphere person like a well-rounded person 
I just need to make sure that I balance all these different aspects because I don't feel good if it's really out of whack. And if it's really out of whack, then doing your work usually suffers. Oh, yeah. And it's like if you can't pay the rent, where are you going to make your artwork? If you're malnourished because you can't afford good food or you're just not actually eating well because you're so obsessed with what you're doing, it's going to impact your body, blah, 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 blah. So how have you gotten to where you are now and what's kind of changed along the way? Yeah, lots has changed. Oh, my goodness. I look back at the past sort of five, six years and I feel like it's almost another lifetime or something. (laughs) But I've got to where I've got through lots of trial and error and reflecting and writing and tracking and mapping. Um, You do so much of that. It's incredible. Yeah, I really enjoy it actually. So like when I was younger, I had a choice of like art or science because I had really good grades and I was going to go and do science, but I decided to do art first, get that out of the way. But then I fell in love with art and that's what I did. But there's part of me that loves tracking data and getting different evidence for things and making informed decisions based on actual evidence, that kind of thing. So I do things like I write every morning. I write a daily summary of like stuff that I've done. And I also do a monthly summary of like the key things that happened in that month, partly because my schedule is so all over the place and very busy and full that if I don't do that, I forget what on earth I did. And I also like to celebrate my wins. So I'm quite like intrinsically motivated. And so I tend to kind of be a cheerleader to myself and focus on things that have gone well because I get so many rejection letters for artwork stuff that I apply for. And, you know, it's just really important to kind of buoy myself along by focusing on what is working and where there is a little bit of progress, stuff like that. A big thing as well of getting to where I am now is actually learning to value and trust myself in my uniqueness, in my difference. For a very long time, I didn't fit into different creative spaces and business spaces, workspaces. And I always thought that there was something wrong with me that I didn't fit. But as I got older, I realized, hold on a minute. Maybe the fact that it doesn't work for you just means it's not for you. There's nothing wrong with what they're doing. There's nothing wrong with that. It just doesn't work for you. So you need to find something else. And when I started thinking like that, I realized, wow, I can't find the things that I need anywhere. So I better make it myself. Why not? Who says I can't? I might as well make my own thing. That said, there's a lot of trial and error and it is very painful. And there's a certain level of discipline and diligence and self-reflection that's required that can be quite painful. Because sometimes you look at yourself and you're just like, wow, I'm really doing a bad job with this stuff. And I don't know how to not suck at this (laughs) stuff, you know? And yeah, but that's where self-compassion comes in of just being like, it's okay that you're really bad at this stuff or that you feel really stressed or sad right now. And that's totally fine. And have a rest or get back on the horse tomorrow. Maybe that's enough for today. Things like that. Another big thing has been like redefining success for myself. So going through art school, I had this abstract picture of success in my head, which was I had this full vision of like I was going to be a painter in Italy with the flowing curtains and just my big studio and a billowing white shirt and like wine everywhere and cigarettes and parties. And, you know, I had this, I had this <laughs> fantasy um, artist life 
where I just made art and just got money and it was just great. Oh, and it was easy. It and was... it was easy. It was just natural. It just it was flowing. It just happened because I was so good. Like, And I had that fantasy for such a long time that I'd got as a kid from movies or like books about Picasso or something. And I very quickly realized that, A, I didn't actually want that because I'd probably get quite bored if I was just painting every day and I wasn't even painting. I was making sculpture, so it just actually didn't make sense. And I just realized slowly that like I wanted to make art, but I also had this appetite for um, working with communities, working with people, learning. I have this voracious appetite for knowledge, learning, understanding systems, understanding social problems, health problems, um, why the world's in the state that it's in, what can I do to maybe play a small role in helping. And those are quite lofty ideals, but by following those non-art related appetites, I was able to kind of weave into my workspace where I am now, which I love. Another big thing has been finding role models, like trying to find people out there who think the way that I do or do what I do or do what I would like to do. And there are so many of them. Who are your role models? I have so many. I have different role models in different realms of stuff. So for example, Stefan Sagmeister, who's a very famous designer, he was a huge influencer for me with taking a sabbatical and how taking time out actually improves your creative output and perspective. Another person who I love in the graphic novel space is Lisa Hannawalt. So she ended up making Bojack Horseman which I'm not a huge, I'm not a super huge fan of that, but I love her comics because they are just off the wall, weird and fabulous. In filmmaking, I love Michel Gondry. Again, he just makes stuff that is quite unfashionable a lot of the time and quite strange. I'm very impressed by creatives who are really self-possessed. By self-possessed, I mean like very in touch with their inner electricity or something. Like they really follow their thing I mean like Björk like she's amazing as well I love the way that she is always seeking to collaborate and grow and shift and return inwards yeah Um, and she's she has this amazing mix of very very serendipitous inspired crazy powerful ideas but she also is very very good at outsourcing certain things making them happen driving it really well and not kind of crushing all the people around her because some very, very powerful creatives tend to kind of, they're like a storm and they kind of smash through their teams. Oh, Um, God. (laughs) And I think that like having a great team around you and great collaborators and caring for each other is important so it's sustainable and not traumatic for everyone. (laughs) One thing that I think I learned in the process of redefining success for myself is that there was something in between failing and making it big time. Yeah. Like what you said about being a painter in Italy. I grew up when I was in high school and I looked at artists like Olafur Eliasson and I mean Damien Hirst and those kinds of – I'm not necessarily into all those kind of people. I do really like Olafur still. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, oh, that's how you be an artist. You're going to do a giant installation in the Tate Modern. Mm. That's probably going to happen. And then I think – going through the process and realizing that, oh, shit, like it takes a really long time, a lot of luck mm-hmm. and a bunch of talent, yeah, a lot of hard work to get there mm. and then be like, fuck, 
Where are the people who aren't there but also who didn't fail? Like what's in between? Yeah. Yeah. When you mentioned Olaf, I was thinking about David Shrigley, who's someone who I really love as well. And in, in the people that I consider inspirators so I used to have a board with all the photos of the different people who I find really inspiring because I have a list and had their photos and stuff like they're like my stars in my constellation that like help me stay on track kind of thing people who are just genuinely having a really fun time making their art I just it's really infectious and I love it it's like when I went to York for a festival a film festival last year that had a film in I met these two animators called Brothers McLeod And they do funny, weird animations and they're just having so much fun. That lights me up. Like it's not about how successful you are. It's about how are you getting your ideas out there? Are you feeling alive and energized and free to follow and do those things? And that's what really speaks to me. So I look for those people and I kind of have my little inspiration collection of them. And also like another famous artist is Myra Coleman and she sits again in this space in between like comic making and fine art and illustration and writing. And also when I find people who draw words and write pictures and they're in this kind of uncomfortable in between space, that makes me feel really good about myself because I don't feel comfortable enough in just one sort of realm. I can't remember who thought of the term, but there's a term multi-potentialite. Yeah, I, I have issues with that term. I don't know why. It just, I think it's because it sounds like socialite. So it sounds flippant to me. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that's something that I struggled with as well because there's kind of this idea of the world sort of pushes you to specialize. Oh, yeah. You know, you're the person that did that thing or does that thing. And I struggle with that because I do a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think it's important to work out like where do you sit and it's okay to not sit somewhere very specific yeah 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 can I swear on this podcast absolutely oh good so (laughs) like some of my mottos have been things like the art of giving less fucks so if you talk to someone and they're like so what do you do and you try and explain what you do and they don't get it and they're like oh how can you be a comic artist and a filmmaker and a writer and I'm like they're all very similar I don't why do you not understand (laughs) but like if I just don't give a fuck as much I just have more fun and also to that it's like I end up getting caught on the train of like feeling like I need to fit in and I'm doing it wrong and blah, blah, blah. And then I get so frustrated and I propel out of that with this kind of like, fuck the rules, fuck the artist myth, let's do something interesting. <laughs> I am ashamed to say how much I am driven by that fear of not being able to explain myself or people not understanding. I have my 10-year high school reunion coming up Mm. this year and I'm still not sure if I'm going to go. I didn't go to mine. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm so terrified of that question of like, what do you do? But I was also kind of like, it might be good practice in being like, it's okay if 70% of the people here don't don't like totally understand. Yeah, but it's also you could have fun with it. Like you could tell all the different people that you talk to something completely different. And then just make everyone very confused and have fun. Because at the end of the day, they don't own you. Even if they think you do something, they don't own you. You are driving the ship and it can be as crazy and full of things as you want. And maybe that's the perfect combination of things. One thing I want to say about like getting to where I've got today, I have this 
game that I play, which is called playing suppose. So suppose playing suppose. So I play this game to like help myself get out of thinking what I can and can't do. So I'll do things like challenge my assumptions, look for opportunities that I didn't originally see, um, get outside my own assumptions and also shift limiting ideas and limiting ideas might be things like, oh, an artist can only ever earn $30,000 a year. And I'll be like, okay, suppose an artist could earn $100,000 a year. What would that look like? How would they do it? You know, just playing with that kind of stuff, you know, and it can be as crazy and wild as you want, but by doing it, you start to see where you have assumed a whole bunch of stuff about yourself and how things are. And sometimes they're true, but the opposite can also be true at the same time. Yeah, I've done stuff like this, particularly around like my mental health and and ideas around what I'm capable of. I remember specifically, I was like, I don't think I can ever have a full-time job. Like, I don't think I'm capable of doing that. I think that I'm not normal enough, I'm broken, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I set myself this task of I will pretend I have a full-time job for a month. As in, like, I work from home, but I was like, I will go to my job and then when I'm not at my job, I will go to work Mm. (laughs) at my house and and see if I get destroyed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the end I wasn't destroyed. I was like, oh, I got a bunch of stuff done. Yeah, yeah. And like it's a very interesting thing to play with what you think your tolerances are, what you think you can and can't do. And particularly if you do have health problems, like some mental health issues or chronic illness or whatever's going on, sometimes you can surprise yourself, you know? And like, for me, like I suffer quite bad anxiety at times. And for a long time, I was like, I can't go and do that thing if I'm feeling this anxious, it's not okay. But I slowly realized that being anxious and feeling that terror and the fear, sometimes I need to rest, but other times I can push through it and I can do the things and still feel terrified, but that I still have power to choose what I do and don't do. And that's very liberating to know that even though I'm feeling terrible, I can still do things and it's not total shutdown because for a long time for me, it was total shutdown. Yeah. Yep. 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 What would be your advice to younger artists, I mean, it doesn't necessarily, you don't have to be younger. Yeah, just artists, just creative types. <laughs> Advice to creative types. First thing I would say is that I really think it's worth investing in pulling into yourself with compassion and seeing yourself as your best friend and seeing yourself as the caretaker of you and really getting to know what does and doesn't work for you but also realizing that it's good to kind of push your thresholds and knowing that over time you will change and develop and grow and things that may have been a problem in the past may not be a problem anymore. So I used to have very bad social anxiety for many years when I was younger, but over time I've become more sociable to the point where people think I'm an extrovert, even though I'm quite introverted and like to be alone a lot. And that's a huge achievement for me. I could never have anticipated that. The other thing I would say is um, getting some data and metrics around how you think, repeating patterns in your life, trauma triggers and sort of fear triggers that you fall into and just seeing that and questioning, you know, is that really happening in this instance or am I replaying stuff that I was hurt by in the past and helping yourself to see a little bit more clearly but also looking at more hardline stuff like your finances, like having more transparency around how you spend money, 
why you spend money, your emotional stories around money of why you can or can't have it and what it means, all that kind of stuff. For example, we were talking the other day about budgeting to go out and like have dinner at a restaurant or whatever. And you could have an emotional story around like, for me, that's important because it gives me a sense of freedom and that I have agency over my life Mm. and that I'm not constrained by my financial situation or budgeting, you know. Obviously, this comes with if you're in a situation where you can do that. Yeah, yeah. But there's also things like, so for me, I use an app called Money Brilliant, which I've been putting data into for a whole year. So it just tracks my spending with my different debit cards, one for business, one for personal expenses. And I've been able to see my spending habits over time and then figure out a budget of like, you know, if I don't have that one coffee a day at Padre, instead I drink the coffee at home, I'll save $2,000 in a year. And that money would actually be way more fun to use for a trip or something like that. And so you can make trade-offs. Like once you can see what you are earning, how you are spending it, you can make trade-offs and like instead of spending X amount of money on clothes, maybe you don't really need any new clothes this year and you might be able to save yourself like a thousand, two thousand, you know, it really depends on how much money you spend. And again, you could invest that money, for example. Like there are some initial investment funds where you just have thousand dollar startup fee and then a hundred dollars a month and then you're on your way to creating some kind of savings. You know, you can just play with those kinds of things and what your priorities are. Having some evidence of like who you are, how you work in a personal, emotional, creative and financial way, any of these different sectors in life can help you to feel like you have more agency, you have more choice, you feel more aligned with yourself and also you feel more responsible for yourself. Like you are actually looking after yourself. You're not, you know, swept away by the waves of life and other people's opinions and the fragility that comes with that, like by being more deeply rooted in your core you can weather the challenges that come with a creative life a bit better. I'd also say like, yeah, just writing stuff down and creating actionable things sounds way simple, but it's like so fundamental to like feeling progress, not stressing, getting the noise out of your head and onto paper. It's like a thing that's worked really well for me and I highly recommend for other people. I read something the other day that was saying how because of the nature of much of our work now and it it being digital, progress is much harder to see because it's just like on your computer somewhere. So like if you're making a sculpture, you see the progress and it's much easier to be like, I am doing things. Yeah. But if you just, particularly with email, if you're just answering email, more email appears. Yeah. It doesn't feel like you've got anywhere. Yeah, it's so true. And that's why I like having calendars or, for example, if I'm saving up for something, I'll actually make a big whiteboard thermometer on my little whiteboard with little notches of different breakdown of saving and I will colour it in as I save money and put little like tick and stuff. Visualising stuff really works for me so that I can feel like I'm making progress and also focus my mind on that's a priority. It's worth questioning whether making money off your art is the right thing. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. And just because you aren't making money off your art doesn't mean there's anything wrong. Sometimes it's better to work as a part-time librarian to make your bucks and then, you know, work on your songs outside of that and just leave it 
that keep it simple keep it unhinged (laughs) um yeah getting in control of your finances is really important even though it is usually at the beginning very tedious and painful and feels like the worst thing ever and a waste of time i was gonna say worth it terrifying it's so worth it though and like when i talk with you about like some more financial planning stuff you'll see why like i have very clear reasons of why financial literacy and planning is really important and it actually makes it less terrifying yeah absolutely i think i started properly taking control of my finances in 2014 which is not long enough ago for me not to be embarrassed about it (laughs) i mean don't feel bad about it like 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 we've said like artists aren't taught or encouraged to think like a business person so all of the skills and mindsets that drive a lot of other industries a lot of artists don't have yeah there wasn't this idea that that was a thing that i could or should do or was good at but i'm actually kind of good at it yeah and i feel a lot less precarious yeah and it doesn't necessarily matter if like i don't even know if i have more money or less money than it's just that I feel much more in control. Yeah, you know what you're working with. And, you know, finances are kind of like on the level of cooking food for yourself or doing the dishes. You might not be particularly good at it or particularly like doing it, but it's important to do. It's like a part of life, you know. Um, and so it's good to have at least a kind of base competency or base literacy around how do you kind of do that stuff? How does it work? Why do we do it? And it also demystifies a lot of what happens in the world outside of you. So you don't feel like you're cordoned off in the like artist zone where you're isolated and don't understand, don't understand how mortgages what's work. going on, what's happening in the rest of the world. Another really important thing is like remembering that you don't carry the weight of the world. I don't know if that would resonate with other people, but for me as an artist, I always struggled with is what I'm doing of value? Is it good enough? Should I be a doctor instead? That kind of jazz. And then just getting real about like, I don't carry the weight of the world. I don't have to sacrifice myself and become a doctor if I don't want to. That it's okay to be an artist. It's okay to make art. That is valuable. I don't have to solve the world's problems. (laughs) Does that make sense? It makes sense. It's such a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. I'd also say finding community and a culture that you fit well in is important. Figuring out what is good stress, so stress of like growing, going outside your comfort zone and what's bad stress is in like burnout stress, but also what is growth pain and then what is like pain that's like you have got to stop this. This is not good for you. And it can be really hard to discern sometimes what is good, what is not good for you with that stuff. And it's trial and error. And so if you do burn out, it doesn't mean you failed. It just means you need to like reflect on that and ask what can I learn from this experience I'd say also to focus on what you can control and what empowers you and strike a balance between your real world responsibilities like paying the rent and your heart and your calling and the things that light you up look I promised you an abrupt ending and honestly I think I delivered that's it for this part of the interview with Sarah Firth as I said at the top of the episode because Sarah is such a genius I decided to split her interview up into two parts. So you'll be getting the second part, which is about financial literacy, later on in the season. And one thing that I wanted to mention before I go is I did 
did end up going to my 10-year high school reunion and it was actually quite fun. I challenged myself to not ask anyone the, so what do you do question and I also tried to avoid anyone asking me that question, which it turns out is quite tricky. But you know what? I think that I succeeded. Not only did I not ask a single person the what do you do question, except of course if it came up in context, I also only got asked what I did once. To which I replied, uh, I make podcasts. To which the reply was then, what's a podcast? <laughs> I think it's nice sometimes to realize how much of a bubble you live in. As always, for anything that was mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes. You can find them on our website, starvingartistpodcast.com, or there's a link in the description for this episode. If you have thoughts, you can find me on social media and tell them to my damn face. Well, not my face, you know, like my Instagram or whatever. But tell me, I really like hearing what people are thinking. This episode was edited by Lance Turnbull, Peter C. Hayward, and myself. The intro music is also by me. And this podcast was made possible by everyone who supports me on Patreon. Special shout out to everyone on Patreon this week. I've actually been sick with salmonella poisoning for the past six weeks. And holy hell, the people on the Patreon just make my heart sing. You guys are wonderful. And if you want to find out more about what all that is about, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Anna Eastley. Love and going to your high school reunion and realizing everyone just looks the same, but with better hair. Till next time. Bye-bye.